it's really important even with the pressure and, and the you know time schedules that are always tied to try to think a little bit about what you're going to do before you're going to do it and then try to maybe do something a little bit different maybe not every day but every week Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast sponsored by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with a mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Maya Lee. She is a driven senior architect interested in the cross section of architecture and technology and what that means for the future of property, planning, and construction. Welcome to the show, Maya. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. So, Let's start with how you got into the AEC industry to begin with. Sure. So I'm an architect and I work in Israel and I have three kids. And I've actually wanted to be an architect since I was 12 years old. I really liked uh, drawing and um, art, but I thought, you know, I wanted to combine that with something that a little more practical. Mm. So I didn't, you know, want to be an artist. And so I don't know how, but at 12, I thought architecture was like the perfect blend between yeah. art and practicality and you know and then that's what I went to study and I studied at USC and I went back came back to Israel after I graduated um, almost 20 years ago I worked for a couple of different firms and today I work for one of the largest firms in Israel we have about 90 architects uh, in two branches it's called Moshe Tzul. and that's it we do uh, high-rise residence, offices, um, office campuses, urban renewal plans, a lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of nice. Work. That's awesome. I, I want to circle back on something that you said <laughs> in your, your bio. You said you went to USC. Yeah. Oh, are you are you meaning the Southern Cal or the real USC, South Carolina? University of South, no, University of Southern California. <laughs> Sorry, in I, LA. <laughs> I went to uh, the University of South Carolina, which is the, in my mind, the real, USC. the true USC. <laughs> uh, so no, I'm, I'm very excited Trojan. to, yeah, no, go Gamecocks. <laughs> uh, excited to talk to you uh, today and, and hear from an architect's point of view. So you reached out uh, a few weeks ago talking about from the architecture point of view and getting into contact and we'll kind of dive into that more in a minute but uh you know on this podcast we spend so much time talking really from the construction angle that we're going to kind of flip the script here in this episode and and hear it from an architect's point of view and, and see what the other side thinks and and how they're handling contact so really excited about the conversation uh what is a, a kind of a common myth though about architects that you want to debunk. So, you know, our audience really heavy on the construction side. So now's your, now's your chance to kind of debunk some stuff. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe uh, some people think that architects don't care that the building's going to work properly. Uh, some people accuse architects of wanting to spend owner's money. Um, you know, so <laughs> there are different things. Yeah. But I think the main thing is that, you know, it's just a lot of hard work. I think people maybe underestimate the amount of effort that goes into every little thing in the building. It doesn't just happen. It's not right. a, like a magical thing. And There's no easy really, button to push. No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it later maybe, but, but it's just really a lot of work. 
and a lot of stress and it you know it's always like comes down to maybe not just the architects but the planners sitting in the office like if we don't put it in the drawing or in the model then it's just mm -hmm. not there and right so i think uh, maybe people sometimes forget that yeah well, what do you see as kind of the the biggest challenge that the gcs and subs should take note of so it's you know like i said it's like really for us it's a labor of love the building you know we're so connected to it we've mm -hmm. worked on it for two or three or five years before the gc got it so yeah. sometimes you know we have like hundreds of decisions taking over so many years to arrive at the point where we did and it's true that sometimes you know when you look at it with fresh eyes you say why did you do it like this and not like that i mean this makes much more sense and sometimes yeah it's the solution is better because you see it with fresh eyes just right. be a little gentler when you propose these changes <laughs> yeah because yeah. you know it's like we really have like an emotional connection to this thing but just like um you know take it easy on us and uh i think it's uh you know if you have a gc that really cares about the outcome about what the building looks like in addition to of course it working and not leaking water and you know everything working properly then it really makes a huge difference i have i had a project where uh the guy on the site every day like really really cared about how the building looked and he would call me and say look this is maybe you specify the wrong color or I don't like how this corner is coming together. And I think the building just comes out that much better for it. So, I mean, working in collaboration is the best. Yeah. Not, you know, we're not the enemy and the GC is not. It's just, we just all wanted to be built and be there. Right. Yeah, I think it's important to, you know, espouse the, everybody's really trying to do the best that they can. They're trying to make the project the best that it can right. in the end and get the best end result. And so, give each other a little benefit of the doubt. Right. You don't have to, it's not different teams. Everybody's on the same team yeah. trying to get the, the best product in the end. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, maybe um, when, when you, when you are able to get the, you know, GC at the table early in the process, for whatever reason, maybe it's a, a company that is both the developer in it's their own general contractor or some kind of combination like that. And you get input with somebody that really understands uh, how the building is going to be built. Sometimes mm -hmm. you can save a lot of headaches later. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, what kind of interest level do you see architects really having in the sphere of construction technology? So I think we, we talked about it before. And, um, you know, I see a lot of architects, they really care about, you know, new materials, better materials, the, you know, better glass, more transparent glass, things like that. And I mm -hmm. don't need a lot of architects, especially, you know, people that I meet every day, not out there in the world on the web, but um, people that I talk to and work with that take a lot of interest in technology, you know, that's being developed out there. Mm -hmm. um, Revit and Beam is sometimes seen as a, you know, a bit of a burden. It was hard. The shift from AutoCAD to it was a hard shift to make. And mm -hmm. I mean, we're still, we haven't finished making it. And, you know, there are a lot of all these companies uh, doing generative design. I don't see a lot of people that I know personally that really have it 
in their scope right now. And I think it's a lot of, it's a great shame because I think there are a lot of companies doing great things. And, um, you know, I see a lot of potential in it. With generative uh, design? Yeah, it's not just, but all the technologies, you know, um, like about a year and a half ago, I started really diving into it because, you know, I was working on a new project and I thought, how do we always have to resolve the same problems with previous projects? Like, you know, you yeah. always speak about the, the data, like we're not seem to be able to learn so much from one project to the next, mm-hmm. maybe from your own mistakes, but not from the one that the other team leader did maybe because there isn't a lot of space for sharing and a lot of time, you know, I'm sure, you know, all your guests speak about it. It's always very, very stressful time. Mm-hmm. And so I started to look with, you know, at what people out there are doing and, you know, some amazing companies, um, you know, doing both generative design and in design construction and the, a lot of companies comparing the 3D model to what's happening on the job site. Um, there's an Israeli company, BuildOS, there's I think open space, they're called. Um, so there, so there's a lot of technology going on and I, you know, and I, I reached out to you also because I feel like it all starts in the planning offices, right? I mean, there's no 3D model without the architects and engineers. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Uh, well, that self-reflection time is is interesting. What, what kind of self-reflection is there after a project's done to see how things can be improved for the next project currently? Yeah, almost none because you're, you know, by the time the building is finished, you're already mostly moved on. Mm-hmm. So I would say about, you know, on a project, uh, on my average project, the construction time is two to three years because they're large projects. Right. So about a year after construction started, I've finished doing all the work. Maybe they call me once a week with little things and I go to the job site like once a month to see, you know, how it's all coming together. But I've, yeah. I've already moved on to other projects right and i've never had a chance to kind of really recap and you know revisit the decisions and say this worked and this didn't work and you know not individually so much and unfortunately also not as a team like we're always looking at the next challenge i mean there is individual learning i mean i won't make the same mistake twice but what about learning from the other guys mistakes i would like to do that too yeah so uh, ideally in the perfect world, what does that really look like? How do different stakeholders come together and say, this worked well on the project? How, what, walk me through what that process should look like. Wow, I wish I knew. <laughs> I mean, maybe as like a common uh, environment database. I think I read this article a long time ago about this uh, software developer. And he created this site where the, uh, software developers could ask questions. Uh-huh. And then people answer them. And if you answer, um, you know, people rank your answers well, you get higher rating and then your your questions get more exposure, something like that. I don't remember what it's called. 
but in the end it's like a huge kind of database for now if you have to write a some kind of line of code and you're not sure how exactly to organize it you can go in and it's free right and uh-huh. you can go into this enormous database so i don't know if you could you know put together something like that for architects yeah and engineers but you know regulation is very different uh in different countries in the world and you know residential project is very different from an office building a single residence is different i mean there's so many subcategories sure that that's a challenge but eventually we will have all this data right yeah i mean a bit of ai and <laughs> the ton of the data is already there too you know that's been one of my uh yeah. recent little obsessions is I know. how do you how do you access this data more because uh, it's there it, we just I have think, to find a way to plug all the pieces together i mean i'm not a huge like uh, you know i don't know how to program but a little bit i've been listening to i mean we're gonna need computers to do it for us like a human being i don't think it's able to really really sift through all this data yeah and that's why you know these generative design companies you know i've been um speaking to spacemaker ai who've been mm-hmm. recently purchased by autodesk and i did a trial of their software and there's another there's an american company called testfit i don't know if you've heard of them but uh-huh. if you haven't you should check their stuff out and it's you know it's amazing and even if it just gives you that first leg of the project both these companies what they do is they help you with the initial kind of um massing to understand how many building rights can fit on the site you know with the building setbacks and how many apartment units and maybe analyze some sun exposure or wind that's more space maker and then test it um has a better understanding of um you know how many different units of each kind go in and so you can that's not the design of the building it's just you know the numbers mm-hmm. but it saves so much like work that's not so interesting for the architects to do and it's just the beginning of the project and you can present the client with a lot of quick numbers for them to make a decision about you know the general layout and then you can start you know being creative so right. i think um you know eventually people using the software and then finishing the project can loop back the data back into the software of what worked well and how much did the building change from that initial you know very very schematic plan to what it looked like in the end mm-hmm. that take a few years I and mean, we're not there yet yeah so on generative design uh you know from an an architect's point of view is it kind of friend or foe do you see yeah. it as as a threat I, or do you see it as a no, compliment absolutely absolutely friend and i actually had you know i was telling i was meeting this these girlfriends of mine that we used to work in the previous office together and we meet a couple of times a year for drinks and stuff uh-huh. and i was telling them about it and they said no but we're we're going to be out of a job and i said absolutely not i mean the computer is just going to do for you all the mundane um stuff that you just uh don't like to do so much like mm. organizing parking spots at the beginning of the project before the client even hired a traffic consultant it's not architect sure it's not fun to do you know but the client yeah. wants to know how many parking spots they can fit on their lot right and so i think it's totally friend and i think it'll leave the architects with more time to do the things that they're really good at and we'll get all them you know not so nice parts of our job 
done maybe a little bit easier. That's what, you know, that's what I hope. Yeah. I, I really see that, that potential there. I think there's generative design, I think is, is a really cool uh, avenue that I hope really, and I think it will uh, really start to explode more. Several months back, we had uh, Lily Smith, who's one of the senior product managers at Autodesk around generative design on the podcast. And she was kind of unpacking what Autodesk is, what they're taking, where they're going with generative design. And I, I really, I, I think it allows the architect to unleash their creativity even more because yeah. it gets rid of kind of those more um, mundane, less glamorized tasks that has been put on the architect's plate. And as you said, it allows you to tackle the stuff that you got into architecture for. Right. And it's actually, I think, you know, 80% of our time is spent on doing stuff that, you know, maybe doesn't, you know, is not exactly what we would want to do. So if, even if you can cut it back by 10, 15%, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so how would you encourage or, or why should architects get more involved with where contact is going? Um, first of all, you know, it's super interesting and it's super exciting. And I think one of the things I know architects and I love is really learning new things every day. I mean, every project is different. You're always learning something new. So why not learn even more and like mm -hmm. see what people are out there, what people are doing. And also, I think that if you don't, you know, at least understand and see where it's going in the end, you know, you're going to be left behind especially the younger folks, you know, I mean, people just graduating, I think they have to um, at least understand the capabilities. I don't think every architect needs to now, you know, learn how to do scripts and programs. That's not necessarily the right, the direction, but if you don't know anything about it, then you don't understand the capabilities. You have no awareness of the things that like a Dynamo script or a Python script can solve on you know, on uh, Revit or all the plugins out there, you mm -hmm. know, that could save you a whole bunch of work. I mean, if you're not even, you know, reading about it or looking into it, then, you know, you, you just, you can miss out on a lot. So I think, you know, I uh, encourage, I send people, you know, LinkedIn articles all the time. And if I come across something interesting, you know, and uh, I'm trying some of these plugins myself, when I have the time, it's, it's really crazy. I have a bid uh, that's due on the 1st of February. So it's, it's insane right now. But once yeah. that's done. <laughs> a little more yeah, normal I life comes back. <laughs> no, I mean, I like to delude myself that I'll have time to. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's so important. Our director of innovation here at uh, Applied always says that if you ever have the thought there has to be a better way to do this. There most likely is a better way to do it. And just, right. you know, a little curiosity and go, go find it. He's a, he's a big dynamo proponent for sure. But uh, I, I think having that kind of curiosity is, is a great thing. Yeah. And somebody told me um, that if you, you know, put aside like a set amount of time a month, like it doesn't have to be a lot, like maybe you dedicate five, six hours, a month you know to study new things to look at mm -hmm. new things that's going to get you something you don't have to like you know swim you know in the ocean right away like you can dip your toes in it right and yeah you know 
even if you found one or two or three little things that help you, then it's already, you know, worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. So what are some of the biggest things kind of piquing your interest right now with contact? So, like I said, I really, um, I don't know how I, exactly that happened, but I, I really got into this uh, uh, sort of generative design. I'm not, I'm not even sure, you know, if those companies, that's exactly how they define themselves. But I, you know, I was uh, browsing LinkedIn one day and I saw uh, this um, kind of demo video for SpaceMaker AI. And it really caught my attention, both because it showed like these really cool sun and wind analysis. And then it also has the parking tool, uh-huh. which I know I'm getting back to it a lot, but we really as architects spend a whole lot of time, <laughs> you know, doing parking solutions. And it's not even really our job. And so I thought, you know, this is cool. Like, you know, I sit down and I offset and offset and offset, you know, to, to draw the parking stalls. And they just... Yeah draw a rectangle and they have like five different options for you like 30 seconds and then uh so i got in touch with them and i you know i did the demo and i kind of tried it out and then i also um this guy called uh beam guru he's from australia i think he did a video on test on their office beta Uh and i watched that and i thought this is amazing i mean you do a couple clicks you tell them how many people you have per floor they give you the amount of stairs amount of elevators it plans your bathrooms for you i mean yeah it's blows my mind (laughs) it's cool what technology can do yes and and um and i also really am interested by all these companies that track the construction you know all the companies using drones Mm. and um like i i said uh, bill dots is an israeli company they put um uh cameras on the hard hats and then you know, the footage just downloaded to the computer and compares it to the 3D model. And, you know, first nice. house, another Israeli company based in California, they, they put cameras on cranes and they track the job site. There are a lot of companies doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's, it's just amazing. Yeah. I really um, see that as the future of yeah. the industry too. That construction is right. going to look drugs. drastically different. Yeah. And they, and they can, you know, and you can do the whole site supervision you know, with a drone and it can go way high up and, you know, inspect the glass facade and, and everything. And, you know, yeah. just before we um, entered the first um, quarantine, I, you know, I visited this guy who was uh, trying to develop um, augmented reality glasses, you know, uh-huh. for job site inspection. And it was just as people started to speak about travel bans and stuff like that. And I think, Look, I mean, this is amazing. The idea that you can, you know, if you're, our office does a project in Eastern Europe, you can sit in your office in Tel Aviv and you got somebody in, you know, Romania walking the job site with a tablet and you can see everything that they're seeing and you could tell yeah. them, look here, look there, circle things. You know, it's an amazing tool. Who wouldn't want to cut back on some travel? Yeah. Now we want to go back to traveling, but at the time, <laughs> you know, so it's that kind of balance where if you can, you know, save some of the trips, you know, that you would do before, then I think it's, so there's a lot of potential out there. Just, it's really taking off in the last, I don't know, a little bit, I don't know, one year, two years, three years. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Evolve MEP. 
MEP Construction Software for Revit. Evolve's MEP Software for Revit makes project collaboration fast, simple, and more productive, which in turn significantly reduces project risk and cost. Born from the reality of a lack of available skilled labor in the industry, Evolve MEP has transformed the MEP detailer workflow. It's time for MEP to harness the Revit platform to offer seamless collaboration like no other software before it. Visit EvolveMEP.com and let them know we sent you. Well, and I think that everything that has gone on uh, with 2020 uh, yeah. really <laughs> accelerated the whole uh, adoption of all this different technology too, because yeah. you were forced to try to find new creative ways to keep the jobs going. Definitely. You had no uh, choice. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how you can innovate when your, your back's against the wall. Yeah. Uh, well, there's so much happening in the industry with new technologies and workflows and processes and all that stuff. What are some of your go-to resources to keep up on the latest things happening? Um, well, I think LinkedIn actually proved to be an amazing place because, you know, when I joined it and I actually am pretty new um, with it, like about a, a little over a year. And when I first joined it, I didn't really maybe not 100% sure why I was doing it, but I thought yeah. maybe it's about time that I have a LinkedIn account, not on Facebook. And I only have Instagram because of my kids. <laughs> but uh, I decided to really put my all into LinkedIn. And I, you know, started to connect with people doing, you know, Beam and um, other 3D stuff and just people post, you know, what they're doing and what they're dealing with and their kind of difficulties. And it's just, a, it's just an amazing um, resource to see. And then if you have a question, like sometimes, you know, I post a question and there's a discussion about what's the best way to go about it. And also in my office, there's this amazing uh, B manager, Ellie, that I always, you know, like to kind of pick his brain to see what he thinks. And he's in touch with a lot of people. And I also, in my one project that we're doing in B, we have a, <clears throat> a model, um, model manager, I guess, and this amazing uh, woman there I work with, Ifat, and she does a lot of like uh, scripts. And so just speaking to people, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you have a problem, just call around, ask, you know, other, um, other architects in the office, friends, you know, depending on what the problem is. Uh, mm -hmm. Contractors I've worked with before, other consultants, structural engineers, plumbing consultants, you know, how do you, how do you um, ask them how they deal with the problem? Like I have this uh, um, plumbing consultant and I asked him, you know, how do you train your people on, uh, on Revit? Cause he's really, really into it. And he said, you know, I take this, uh, it's, a, it's an idea you discussed as well. The, um, how do you call it? the reverse, uh, reverse mentorship. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's never heard the expression, but he's doing it. You know, he's taking this young, a lot of times they're um, architects or they're not trained uh, civil engineers or something like that, but they, yeah. you know, they really understand uh, Revit and the three dimensionals. And he sits them with an older um, plumbing, you know, engineer that has a lot of experience and one teaches the other one what, they know and says works beautifully. So just speaking to people and finding out how, you know, say I have a problem. 
how do what do you think I should do about it? not be, you know, not keep everything to yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm a huge fan of reverse mentoring. I think it makes so much sense. I don't know why everybody isn't doing it uh, of yeah. combining the best of both worlds there. Right. Uh, and I think what your answer was there of just ask and talk to people is right. spot on. It, <laughs> it makes me laugh though. Cause it's, it seems like that's like the last resort that people go to is ask somebody that, you know, ask your network that, you know, everybody tries to find it all on their own and, you know, never admit that you, you don't know something or you made a mistake there and trying to find a better way to do it when really that should be our first go-to answer. Right. And we'll solve so many uh, problems and wasted time by just asking I, people. Yeah. And I think coming and saying, look, I, I made this mistake. You know, have you made this mistake before? What did you do about it? I mean, we're, we're people, we make mistakes, you know? So, right. um, when you come with that attitude, people always, you know, first of all, they're willing to share, like tell you about the mistakes they did. And, and, and it's back to the data we were, you know, speaking about before. This is how you learn. Once you made, you know, a certain mistake, I, don't, I can't think, I don't know, you planned an ADA toilet and because you didn't plan for building tolerances, it ended up being too small and it wasn't up to code. You'll never do it again, yeah. you know? So I think uh, speaking to people and sharing and, and then, you know, hopefully we'll be back to being able to participate in, in uh, actual uh, conferences, but virtual conferences, you know, have their advantage because you can like, you know, your home and you can maybe uh, visit a few of the sessions that are interesting to you. So I recently participated in this um, conference on, on 4D. And I just saw a little part of it, but they showed this stuff. Um, they're digging a new sewage uh, um, tunnel in, under London. Well, you know, oh, wow. while people are living and everything. And they showed yeah. how they use, you know, the 4D simulation to help like get residents to like not worry so much about the project. And they were showing them how they're going to, I don't know, I think they call it cut and cover. And it was just, you know, a half an hour, but it, it was amazing. I mean, people really doing amazing things and it's really inspiring. Then you go to your office and you're not digging a sewage tunnel underneath London. You're just doing yeah. a, little bit, a little building. So you're saying, okay, if they can do that, then, you know, my right. building is probably. <laughs> it's in the realm of possibilities. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, thinking of learning from, past mistakes and, um, you know, future focus, what does a, a growth mindset, what does that really mean to you? Um, so that's, I thought a lot about this question <laughs> and I think, you know, I try to, it's really important even with the pressure and, and the, you know, time schedules that are always tied to try to think a little bit about what you're going to do before you're going to do it. And then try to maybe do something a little bit different, maybe not every day, but every week. Uh -huh. So this is how you're going to grow. I mean, if you always, and this is something I think you discuss with a lot of people, if you always do things the way you've always done them, then that's just boring and yeah. not effective. So, you know, just trying to do something a little bit different, um, trying to look at the problem from a different perspective and trying to, 
maybe think a little bit before we run into our, you know, go-to teams. I think that's, I'm trying. I don't, I don't say I'm always succeeding, but I'm trying. Yeah. Well, why is that important to keep on kind of thinking differently and approaching it from different angles? Because uh, to avoid making the same mistakes and to try to work more efficiently. So you have, you know, more time, like we discussed, more time to spend on the important things, how the building is going to look, is it going to work for the people that are going to use it instead of having to rework, I don't know, the rainwater uh, drainage collection, uh, I, whatever, I don't know, problem again and again and again. So like, uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, but planning out what you're going to do is going to give you a much better outcome than if you just go out and do it. So, yeah. I, you know, like I said, I try. Yeah. No, that's all you can do is, yeah. is try. <laughs> or as we talked about earlier, you know, we're, we're human. Right. <laughs> we're we're going to make mistakes where I can do it perfect all the time. But as long as we're, we're trying and putting that one foot in front of the other, every time I think that yeah. goes a long way. Uh, well, looking out over the, let's say, you know, 10 years. Oh, how do you think the AEC industry is, is really going to grow and, and change and look differently a decade? The next, yeah. the next 10 years. The next 10 years. <laughs> I mean, it's a really tough question because I think people don't really know um, when it, exactly it's going to hit. So a lot of, you know, the software is still in very early stages. It's not going to solve all your problems. Mm. When is it going to reach the point where it's really really giving you everything that you need is never going to be one software, right? But I think for me, it's hard to say if it's, you know, two, three years, two years or four years down the road, I can't tell you exactly. I'm pretty sure in 10 years, it will be different. So you gave kind of a time span of, you know, it's just everything I hope will be more automated in the connection between the job site and the architect and the engineers, the planning offices will be more seamless. And hopefully people will be on the job site, you know, with the 3D model. Yeah. And maybe we won't issue so many 2D representations of our drawings anymore. Yeah. Um, although I have to admit in that respect, I'm a bit old school and I do still like to work with 2D prints, paper. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, paper has its of, place. Right. And I mean, I have paper right in front of me right now yeah. taking notes. So. <laughs> You know what, when I was, you know, 15, I was working uh, like a summer job at this firm that my mom uh, worked for, she's a chemist. And he, back then they spoke about the paperless office. Yeah. And I was 15 a long time ago. And it's not paperless at all. Yeah. I don't know if you'll ever get 100% rid of paper. Right. And maybe we shouldn't. So I think a lot of times we, you know, we see that technology, we, can't always um, predict how it's going to impact us mm -hmm. or the world because the technology then changes how, you know, we do things. I mean, people say it about the, you know, the iPhone, you know, who thought 10 years ago, I think I read it one time about the washing machine. I mean, the person that invented the washing machine thought they're going to have the housewife be able to just, you know, rest easy. Now she doesn't have to hand wash the stuff. I don't think they imagined that we're going to be doing laundry every day. Right. right? So, <laughs> Several loads of laundry yeah. in my house. Because <laughs> you got three little kids, right? Yeah, they are. Whew, that yeah. create a lot of laundry. 
but you know, 50, 60 years ago, you just didn't wash the stuff just as often or a hundred years ago. I don't know, but you didn't wash stuff as often as we do now. So, right. I mean, because it, was it wasn't easy. as easy. So right. you just right. held it off. So, so who knows? I mean, we'll be building more buildings. We'll be building faster. You know, now sometimes clients come and they say, okay, we want the project done in three years. And I said, hello, have you done a project lately? How are we going to finish it in three years? So yeah. maybe in 10 years they'll want it done in a year you know i mean it's i don't know that we can really predict i think we just have to like stay current you know keep learning and you know evolve with it i don't know if, yeah um, oh that's fair enough nice well how do people get a hold of you and find out more information well um i think linkedin is the best place to find me so it's uh maya lee i mean maybe you can can put a i can send you my yeah, we can link over to it for sure. Right. And Moshe uh, Tzul, you can find us on Instagram. So I'll send you that as well. Perfect. And, you know, I'm happy to to talk to people and to, you know, discuss anything. Nice. Cool. I mean, look, I found you. I mean, it's just, I mean, the, the internet is an amazing place. <laughs> it is. And LinkedIn is definitely yeah. my, one of my favorite places. I, I have LinkedIn open all the time. I'm right. slightly... <laughs> probably a little addicted but yes <laughs> the social media move we never discussed it so i think we're still okay there it's not that's true oh, the social dilemma oh man yeah, I, I turned off all my notifications started. after reading that that's <laughs> or watching that that was that was such a good good i, I think that document. was the best take from the movie is just turn off your notifications it does make a big good. difference right yeah. it is <laughs> never mind that it's up on my desktop all day long right. and I'm looking at my desktop. That, it's a side factor, it, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, for huh. us in Israel, WhatsApp is a bigger. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, constantly. Nice. Well, uh, as a a listener, you, you know this question's coming. It's my my question. I ask everybody, "What does innovation mean to you?" Um. So, I mean, I think it's just not doing the same thing that you've done before. Like not saying this is how we've always done it. So let's continue doing it. Oh, CAD was fine. Let's just keep on drawing CAD drawings. It worked fine for us before. Yeah. No, it's not a good enough reason to continue doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think to be innovative is, uh, is to do something a little different. Yeah. Every day. Every yeah. week. I love that curiosity of challenging even what has been working because it yeah. may not be working in the future. And also, I mean, it, it worked fine, but maybe you can make it better. Yeah. Uh, better design, more effective, faster, less errors, something a little bit better, tastier. Yeah, I like it. Well, Maya, thanks so much for coming on and giving the, the architect's vantage point on, on contact. Really appreciate sure. it. Anybody that's interested, happy to have reach, reach me. Awesome. Well, thanks. Bye. And now it's time for the Todd takes from this episode. First take, it is so important to take the time to see things from other perspectives. My friend and past guest, Nathan Wood of Construction Progress Coalition always talks about respect for perspective. No matter the stakeholder, architects, GCs, subs, owners, etc. Everyone is on the same team trying to accomplish the same goal at the end of the day. Everyone wants to build the best building possible. 
it's okay to give the benefit of the doubt to others. Second take, I am a big believer in taking time on the front end of a project to plan. Maya had a great line when she said, planning out what you are going to do will give you a much better outcome than if you just go and do it. Part of planning is the necessity for reviewing the process afterwards as well. We talked about the power in crowdsourcing your learnings from different vantage points across the project and team. When you pull together different perspectives, you are able to gain better insights that will set you up for future success. And finally, stay curious and keep driving to find a better workflow. This is something I really appreciate and respect about Maya. She is on a mission to learn and grow more from setting aside time to research new technologies each month to not being afraid to ask others a question when she needs help. It is okay not to have all the answers. Most people are willing to share if you ask them. And what do you have to lose? Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, Bridging the Gap Pod. Com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is directed and produced by Todd Wyant, edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2021.